Hey. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Good. I'm just noticing my camera is like not very clear. I'm going to try and fix that. A little better. A little better. Well, you look fantastic. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm just trying to keep up with life. Yeah, I hear you on that. Me too. So it, uh, it took us possibly over a year, I think, was the first time I asked you. Well, I don't know if I've been doing this a year, but it feels like it's legit been about a year that we've kind of been talking about this. Yeah, I agree. I think it's been a while. It's been a long yeah. time coming. It has. So thank you, first off, for taking your time to join me tonight. Thanks for having me. It's uh, SHS, good old Springfield High School. We were Millers together. Yes. And, and middle school, actually, too, Springfield Middle School. I think that was, was that your acting debut as well? Um, or did you yeah. think in sixth or seventh grade? Because that was the first thing I had done. I was in Annie in sixth was, grade. Okay. Okay. See, I tell people that, oh, yeah, we made our acting debut together. So I'm already <laughs> lying. About that. Great. I just small uh, part, so it's all good. Yeah. But we um, kind of got to know each other first in eighth grade in The Wizard of Oz. Yes. You were Dorothy, and I was the Cowardly Lion. You were the most amazing lion. <laughs> the most amazing lion. I will thank you. I was about to say that you killed it as Dorothy. Thank you. You did. It was fantastic. And it was so much fun. Um, you had a blast. And my cousin went to see that uh, in the audience. I don't know if you remember my cousin, Josh Parr. He was a few years ahead of me. But he went, he was sitting right behind my parents, and when it was coming up to my part to sing, he leans forward, he's like, Dustin's not going to sing, is he? Because <laughs> that's one thing I can't do. Like, acting, I'm okay at. I love improv. Comedy, man, but I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't play an instrument. You did sing, and it was actually quite good. I, I, remember, like, of, I talked my way through it. But it was, it was good talk singing. Like, it, right. it was... You did it in time, and it was like I because re I remember like going through that with you. You know, being a singer and singing my whole life, I had never yeah. like experienced that, and so you. But you were like really honest about it. You were like, "This is not my strength. I'm just gonna talk through it." And you did, and it actually yeah. worked really well. It did. It played well, and I still I can still hit that when I need to. Yeah. I I actually when uh, when I first came back, I'm at Patty's um, here on the church side. We do stand up. The stage is right over there. Do comedy. And uh, several months back when I was getting on stage again for the first time, it just happened to be like a huge night. Excuse me. The owner, the two owners had done an interview with like a huge local magazine. So there's lots of people here. And so it was her and then an um, older gentleman in the back. And I got to BSing with them. I didn't know who I was talking to, but she was like the reporter from the magazine. He was like this retired judge who was like a huge deal in the, in the area. And they were just like, oh, you're going on stage tonight asking me questions. And I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Da, da, da. And I got just like, I was like, yeah, my debut in the Wizard of Oz, you know, as a lion. And he was like, well, sing. And so I did. I did the first couple. And uh, he told me after that, he's like, yeah, I've been a judge for, you know, 20, 30 years. And people always talk the talk until it's time to actually perform or do what you said you're going to do. And that's when most people are full of it. And he's like, nope, you got it. Good job. Go kill it on stage. So I was like, all right, cool. But... <laughs> That's amazing. I just love that you do comedy because you were always hilarious. And we always had a lot of laughs together. I remember that. Um, so that was, I think it's awesome. And I can't wait to see some of your stand-up. Thank you. Um, I, it came along a lot quicker. So I did it right after I got out of the Marines back in 03, 04, back in Eugene. It's uh, Club Tsunamis, then it was a jungle, whatever. Nah. 
I, I hosted that for about a year. And, oh man, my writing was so terrible. And just, I look at my old notebook. I've actually got it right here in my bag. It was just, I look at it and I'm like, oh man, the kids would just call it cringe these days. <laughs> I look at it and I'm like, oh, it was so terrible. But it's weird doing it, writing material again 15 years later with more life experience that you actually have things to make fun of. Because it's, it's rough getting old. <laughs> sure. The struggle is real. But no, it is. Comedy's fun. Um, I'm okay at it. Like, I have a blast on stage and I have a blast with the audience. But the comedy writing's really hard, um, especially to kind of like to the climax of the joke. Like, the punchline is really hard to do. So, um, but it is fun. Uh, improv, I think, is the most fun. But yeah, acting. Do you remember? It was acting ensemble. We did Booze and Bubbles. <laughs> I just recently told my daughter about that character. Joanna Durant was she in had, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was uh, Bobby Jane and Louis Marie Thornton Smith Rodriguez Lopez. And I was Mama Kiki. Mm. And that was hilarious. That was so fun. That was a reoccurring character for us. And like... Yeah. Hanging by your fingernails. Like, we had so much fun yes. in drama. And improv was, like, totally the thing. That was the bag. Yeah. And then I took that. When I came back again at um, LCC, I took improv out there for a while. and took comedy writing and theater writing and everything. So it's you start to learn the structure behind it. And you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Cool. And actually, well, I wanted my kind of life goal at the time after I got out was to go to Second City in Chicago. It, that would have been just, you know, like people, nobody knows what that is really unless you're into it. But that was the goal for a while. Do you remember Jared? Clark, oh, yeah. Jared Stroud? Of course. He, he went there. He's in Chicago. I think I remember that. I heard yeah. that. Yeah. And I would still talk to him for a while because like, dude, you're doing like my dream. You're living it up. That's so awesome. And he was like, man, like it's different here. Because we were kind of the, not that we were like the big fish in our pond, but we were just kind of the. You know, you were, you killed it at singing. You could tell back then that you were just going to destroy it. Like, none of us are surprised that you're where you're at now. But, you know, Jared and I were very loud and this and that. So we were kind of the loudest personalities with that stuff. And he goes there and he's like, man, it's different. Like, I'm getting, not to, in so many words, he was like, I'm getting swallowed up here. Yeah. And that was just like, whoa, wow, really? Like, because he had one of the, if you don't know the guy, like, just I don't know how to explain Jared to someone. Jared used to like, you know, he used to be great at doing all of the um, Jim Carrey characters, and he was he and I used to do Velociraptors together. Yeah, I did that. I did it in the Marines. I do I that. Pictures. I've done that all over the world in the Marines. And um, yeah, and now I play with Jeff Goldblum. It's full circle here. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of funny that like that. I mean, and actually a lot of those improv chops that we learned and studied, like I, I've been growing too along with it. Like there's so much more depth and layers to it that when you're out in the real world, it's a totally different thing. And, you know, I use it all the time. I use it yep. on stage. So, yeah. Yeah. You can use it anywhere. Like I was yeah. in sales for a little while and like I teach that now, like I'm just starting my own company. And that's one of the things that we intertwine is like you got to be able to you got to be in tune with your audience especially like improv comedy stage like you guys do anything even sales whatever you have to be in tune with your audience right 
business. If you're not buying, if they're not buying what you're selling, then you're going to get the cane and yanked off stage. Yeah. I teach college too. So I use it in the classroom. My students know I'm a total goofball in the classroom. <laughs> we could, we could BS all day long. Let me get some structure to this. I'm just so excited. <laughs> Uh, for those that are just joining, uh, Miss Gina Saputo and I went to high school together. She is now um, stepped down to my humble show, but uh, she's a globally recognized jazz vocalist, actress, composer, arranger. Uh, yeah, did I say that right? Sounded like I'm saying you are a ranger. Uh, <laughs> author. <laughs> and I've seen you in the kitchen doing stuff, too. Tell us real quick about the kitchen stuff. Oh, I mean, I love to cook. I'm a half Italian and... I took cooking lessons in Italy and I love, I love to cook. So, and my auntie's like a, I don't know if I should say celebrity chef, but she's a, yeah. a very high end teacher and, and chef and she's awesome. So I've learned a lot from her and you know, I just love to cook. I like to create in the kitchen. It's mm -hmm. kind of the improv skills too. It's it is. I thought of it as an art form. I first started cooking in eighth grade because my fat ass likes to eat. So, <laughs> so I just started cooking and uh, yeah, it's like an art dish. So that's fantastic. So, um, when did you, and like I said before, like, I'm not kidding with, uh, we went to high school, Gina, and you have a gorgeous voice. Thank you. Um, I've listened to your stuff. You're welcome. I listen to you on Spotify. You can get it on there. That's the easiest way that I found it. Um, tell us what platforms you can be heard on. Uh, all of them. <laughs> iPod right. radio, Spotify, yeah. uh, title, all yeah. of them. Amazon, so, iTunes. Yeah. You are like a legit famous jazz singer gorgeous voice on that so your latest album was it was number four on itunes jazz charts yes that's freaking awesome yeah it was amazing i mean because i've actually been quite underground and i still yeah. am a little bit um and uh that was without a publicist or anything i made it to number four so this next album i'm doing is i'm doing the whole the whole shebang so who knows what's going to happen with it we'll see uh i tell you what's going to happen it's going to be number one I hope so. Your mouth <laughs> God's ears. Man, I got you. So um, you mentioned Jeff Goldblum. I know we've talked about this. I love him. He's my mom and I. I grew up watching movies. He probably doesn't even remember doing one of my favorite movies he was in. It's called Transylvania Six Five Thousand. I love that movie. And Jeff Goldblum. I just love his personality and his persona and his his mannerisms, of course. But you work with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, I've been working with Jeff for over eight years, and um, he's a, a friend as well as being, you know, a bo my boss. Mm -hmm. um, but he's awesome. I just, I can't say enough wonderful things about Jeff because it's been just a pleasure to work with him. And um, I'm sort of like their house rehearsal singer, so yeah. I... Uh, split the gig with this other singer now but i've i've been on it for such a long time and i was on his last record and he's just so fun and talk about learning about j jokes and storytelling i actually um do cold readings on stage that the manager oh, gives uh, me with jeff so yeah. um we and and he also rehearses his jokes with me backstage like before he goes on jimmy kimmel or something like i'm backstage That's so cool with the band and he'll like sometimes he'll just start telling me jokes and like practicing his delivery and it's awesome to see someone practice their delivery like that and yes. work it out and he yep. workshops it with me how's this how's this yeah yep. it's really cool i've learned a lot from that man 
I would pay money to just watch that, let alone be a part of it. So my buddy yeah. here, this is actually one of my good friends. He keeps chiming in. Classic Odin. What's up, brother? He is saying to, to put him on a track. Um, he can play me and air guitar. If you need him on stage, I'll tell you what. Um, he'll get on there and just, he's a bodybuilder. So he'll get on there and, and pop and flex and smile. He's got some dimples. There you go. Trombone. Yeah. He ain't playing trombone. Give him a, um, what's those things called? Tambourine. Tambourine. Yeah. You know what? You could play any air instrument. Just send me your track and I'll put it in since it's air. Will. It'll, be, you would, it'll be perfect. You would legit probably get bumped up at least one or two spots on the iTunes charts if you got him on your cover. <laughs> just have him in the background with a hit and a flex like this and you're right there in the middle like singing. I'm telling you, I'm hooking it up here. I want a percentage of that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> what I want to point out about what, what you just said, a few things there for our listeners, because I, I know what you mean for the most part. Um, but when you said you're a, you've been a house singer and you've been with him for like eight years, right? So yeah. now correct me if I'm wrong at any time, but I'm going to try to translate a few of the highlights of what you just said. Being being a house singer there, that means that you are totally legit. Like, you are very good at what you do. You are like the – I love to use the word baseline, but you are like the, the baseline, the um, the constant. And you, that's that's a huge – like, when you were telling me that, that stuck out because I, I know what that means and I know what it takes to be that person. So even if that was, like, your only accolade, like, that's saying how good you are. Thinking. what you do you're welcome i mean that's not a compliment i'm just that's the fact you know what i mean um i will eat cold cuts backstage that's my boy chuck we did some i did his podcast last week i'm actually going back to work with him he does a great job on on the new you show check that out um so and you're on jeff goldblum's latest release yeah he did a, about a that. Record. he did a record in 2019 just before the the big old panty um, where he uh, had a record with Miley Cyrus and Fiona Apple and Anara George and Gregory Porter and little old me, like I was the big no-name that um, <laughs> they had. <laughs> um, I like how I got... little me, big no-name. Yeah, <laughs> little me, big no-name. <laughs> uh, so that was very cool to be on that record. And I actually um, was very involved in the in the process of the record and in the studio for a lot of it. And it was very cool to be a part of it. It was released on Decca Records, which is like my dream label. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite jazz singers release stuff on that label. So to be on their label for that was really, really cool. I was very excited about that. So yeah. And that's awesome that you actually got on your dream label. Yes. That's what's cool about it because a lot you know a lot of things we talk about is kind of from the other end of it like getting started well, what do you want to do and then if some people don't know and that's okay excuse me just chugging a red bull right before i started it's coming back out uh <laughs> but to have you but to have you on the other end like just the feeling of accomplishment gratitude success like boom of of reaching the label that you wanted to be on you know like can you even how did that feel it's interesting because it never success never feels like you think it's going to feel like <laughs> it's always a little different and there's never an end point where you're like okay now I'm successful like there's yep. no moment yep. like when someone tells me like oh this is a big break I'm like there's no such thing as a big break it's like multiple fractures and you know there was moments about that experience that were bittersweet and some that were just very sweet and 
it's never ideal or you know in my experience it hasn't been yet there's just moments of but little glimpses of of amazing experiences and it's so, someone was saying if you don't like the journey i forget what the quote was exactly but it was like you know it's getting there that's the fun part if you're not happy in the process of getting there then d don't bother then you're on the wrong ride you're on the wrong ride yeah yeah uh and and i love how you even started that is that it's different than you would think because people with your mindset and that's who i prefer to talk to is people like that that you know that like when you're looking a little when you're back down the road looking at that that label and then boom 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 it's getting closer but you never really realize it how close you're getting and then all of a sudden you get on your label that you wanted which is fantastic that's like the goal that's met right now and you're not tuning that out or being like oh yeah cool whatever but it's it's hitting that and be like yes that's fabulous but this is the next achievement this is the right. next checkpoint so it's it's important i think to like you said enjoy the ride first off get on the ride of life that you want to be on yes or it's gonna suck yeah like this shit goes quick we're already not as young as we used to be i'm not gonna say numbers here but um it, it, you're on the wrong ride if you're not having fun get on the right ride and enjoy it you've got to gotta enjoy the process like you said and then it's crazy how quick it's gonna go and the progress that you're gonna make you don't realize it but whatever it is whether it's singing acting jujitsu bodybuilding crossfit making videos composer actress like you suck for a long time and that's what people have a hard time with that's what i've been saying a lot lately is Nobody's ever become a master without first being the fool. You're starting something new. You're supposed to suck at that. You're not supposed to be any good. And people are afraid to do that. So let me back up a little bit. When did you first kind of like no shit decide, hey, I'm going to follow the music career, the stage career, that type of thing? You know, it's interesting because I never really had a, a point in my career even now I mean there's this like imposter syndrome still I have a lot of confidence but back then I didn't think I was a great singer you know it but I love to sing like I I knew I loved it and I think really I you know being from our little hometown you know I released a record when I was 17 and I had a lot of gigs around town and it just started to get you know a more and more gigs to the point that you know i was busy and yeah. i think that community-based encouragement like that having the community embrace me like that and they did newspaper articles and like i was gigging and then um when i was looking at colleges i still didn't know for sure what i was gonna do i thought well maybe i'd be a jazz singer on the side for fun um, but then I got into my dream school with uh, almost a full ride and that that validation itself, yeah. I think was like, okay, I do need to do this. I need to make this happen. And then once I was in it, I was like, I'm not going back. This is way too amazing and fun. And it took me all over the world. Like I can't even begin to describe the crazy, incredible experiences I've had doing this like i would never take it back yeah someone yeah. said imposter syndrome is a real thing you can off and can often hold you back in your path and i would say like everybody is an imposter if you keep that in mind like 
like I, when I go walk out on stage, I know I belong there. And there is a certain point where I go, you know, it doesn't matter what I think of myself. It matters how I'm received and it matters how I serve the art form and it matters how much I commit to myself and it matters that I don't stop. It yep. matters that I, you know, I keep serving that music. And, um, and so it hasn't hold, held me back because I, I don't know. I, I always say this, that my parents didn't teach me shame. <laughs> like I never learned it. And I'm really grateful I didn't uh, because I, I'm all guts and I, I like it and I'm sassy with it. So if they would have seen us in booze and bubbles, I think they would know <laughs> that neither one of us have any shame whatsoever. <laughs> we no shame. Care. Do not care in, <laughs> at all. I wonder if we could find that on tape somewhere. It's on VHS somewhere. I'm sure it is. Oh my gosh. Um, that's but, I'll ask. Yeah, it was so much fun. Um, a few things on that, though. Uh, like you said, when you got into your school, and it was in California. I saw it in your bio. Tell us what school. It's University of Southern California, USC. Okay. And like you said, I love that you said that, that was validation along the way. That validated you like, hey, I'm doing the right thing. I got damn near a full ride validation i'm supposed to be here and i think you're gonna have those moments along that ride that we talked about of validation it's like hey, yes i am doing good i am and like you said before when you're 17 you put it out you started doing things because eighth grade you're blasting out somewhere over the rainbow like a freaking i'm not kidding though like i'm not gonna say that if it's not true trust me i'm gonna let you know what i think <laughs> but you're belting that out then it's like oh clearly this girl's gonna sing and then you did that more and that's I think one of us touched on it before when you, when you are doing what you want to do, like put yourself out there, like the no shame thing's great. And when you're that young, you almost don't know any better. We didn't know, you know, you didn't know that you're supposed to be scared on stage or you didn't know that you're supposed to be blah, blah, who cares? You're doing what you like. You put yourself out there and then the community is validating you there. Like, yeah, girl, you got a gorgeous voice. You know, you got this bravado of a grown woman blasting this stuff out one of the points I'm making on that is look for the validating points along the way. Don't, don't seek validation. Don't seek validation at all. But when you get those things that are validating that you're on the correct path and that you're not supposed to be doing, recognize that and, and embrace it. Enjoy those. Absolutely. And I think, you know, a, there was a vocalist who said like, she was just really struggling with that imposter syndrome and that, you know, and moving forward. And she said online, like, what makes you feel validated? And I said, you know, it's, you have to be really careful not to seek validation and not to look for validation externally as well, because even in every single one of those things that happen, like getting into USC or, or going in, um, in, you know, whatever projects I've been doing, it's not always what you think it's going to be. And there's moments of like, did I do you know, like crippling self-doubt every three months yeah. on Google, how to be a florist, right? So, um, but that validation also just comes from my relationship with the art form. So I just love to sing. I love the music. I'm fully absorbed in the music. So if you pick the right thing, just the process is, you know, looking for that validation within just yourself. Do I love what I'm doing? Am I having fun? Is this enjoyable? Um, that's the most important thing. So yeah. it's a tricky, 
a, a tricky thing, but you know, that crippling self-doubt and that, that imposter syndrome, it's a real thing, but you can move past it. Uh, real quick, my mom's tuned in here. She's the Red Rock. She loved yeah. watching her. She said hello, by the way. Still remembers you, so uh, mom's in the room. Uh, you're absolutely correct, and I've talked about this a few times, too. It, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's singing, any art form that we've talked about, or if it's like bartending, or if it's taxes, or whatever it is. When that person loves what they're doing, and are totally committed to that and, and don't have the shame. I like that you said that and aren't seeking validation, but have been validated. When you see someone that's just fully into whatever they're doing, whether it's glamorous or not, you can't help but like be attracted to that person's energy and just have like the level of respect is like, that's what sells me. And, and when you see people that are seeking that validation, it's like, dude, piss off, man. You know, ain't got time for that. And see that person that care less about the validation and they are just gripping and ripping whatever they're doing. You're like, well, I never knew that I was so fascinated by accounting, but this guy, this guy is just killing it. How would you do that with the number again? Oh my gosh. But, but you just get you human people are just drawn to that, you know, and it's, it's funny the things that, that I've found interesting just because someone was fully committed to it. Yeah, it's very true. Um, that commitment is, it's tricky too, because like, you know, I remember you're saying like, oh, well in the school play, you were, you know, you yeah, were singing so strong. But that top note, I remember struggling with that song. I remember really being like, oh, this is hard for me. And now Over the Rainbow, like for many years was in my book and um, I sing the crap out of it. Uh, but because I've worked on it and just today we're i was in a rehearsal with my band we're working on my our new record and i was like what else should we put on the record we have 13 songs like let's get one more and they were like have you ever recorded your over the rainbow like you should do it so i think it's going to be on this i just record. got chills that would be so cool yeah kind of full circle um and i just noticed i think elissa who is the scarecrow is in the chat yeah. or she was oh yeah that'd be awesome because i don't know if i have her on here maybe she followed uh, my cousin Josh that I was talking about asking my mom if Dustin's not going to sing is he he's in here he's the one asking yes Josh that's Dorothy um, and I've already told the story about you being scared that I was singing um, she killed it as a scarecrow I remember that because all I knew from her was just she was very quiet naturally just a quiet person and then you know comes out there and just all of a sudden like boom starts singing I was like holy crap yeah. It was, and it was just like, oh, my gosh, just went from zero to ten, like killing it. Like, damn, girl, that's awesome. But then when she was done, she could go right back to just being quiet. And just but letting go like that. Yeah, here, here, she... Say what's up. yeah she's, oh, Alyssa, she yeah, left Alyssa, the chat, it looks like. But... Alyssa, yeah, she was great. Yeah, Actually, she what is... talking about? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, the connection's weird. Um, okay. She's a hilarious person and a great singer she was always a fantastic yeah. singer yeah that was so much fun just in general yes yeah uh let's see get back yeah i can bull crap all day um but when you love what you do it's it's really fascinating so i would just uh just ask you guys that are watching just just watch for that watch for the uh the trueness when somebody's genuinely into what they're doing it's fascinating
and you never know. And if, if you don't know the ride that you're looking to get on for life, if you don't know what you want to get into, then try different things. You can't, you can't figure out what you're going to be good at or what you're going to enjoy if you're not trying anything. And that's one thing that I'll say a lot is, and it's okay if you don't know, because we talk so much about, oh, figure out what you want to do and find your path in life and blah, blah. Well, what do, you're telling me that I don't know what my path is. I don't know what I want to do. Perfectly okay. What are you doing to find it? Oh, well, what do you mean? What did you do last weekend? What did you try that's new? When's the last time you tried something new? Oh, well, I have it. How are you going to find something new? I guarantee you in just about any community, you go on there, Facebook, whatever else, there's community freaking hot yoga. I've done that. That'll, that'll smoke. That's tough. <laughs> That's rough stuff. But you're going to find these community events that are going to be cheap. Take a pottery class. Take a book reading class. Do the whatever. You got to try different things to know if you're going to like them. Like with the cooking. You love to cook. It's like an art form. I agree with that. I love, I love that. I could. When I came back into the military, I'm not even kidding, because I was working at the Downtown Athletic Club at the DAC, up in the Axe Billy Grill. And uh, I was talking to the head chef at the time. We'd gotten to be good friends. And I was like, hey, man, like, I was literally looking at the two paths that I was going to take when I was 27 years old, was going back into the military to chase that, or becoming a chef. Like, no bullshit. Because running a kitchen is very much the same. Like, if you're going to run a kitchen, that's no joke. And I liked it because there was so much multitasking and you're like a squad leader. You got other people that you got to delegate. You got to make sure this is going on. Don't burn the gravy. Add this, da, da, da. And I loved that aspect of running the kitchen. But it was, it was like military for 16 more years or try to be a chef. And, but you got to find those things before you can, <laughs> you got to try things to figure it out. What are you saying, Chuck? Let me shut my yapper for a minute. Gina, what do you got? Oh, it's true. I mean, I, I agree. I just saw something that really challenged my thinking, or I guess the thing is, is that, you know, purpose can come in so many different forms. It's not just career choices. It can be in nurturing. It can be in uh, volunteering. It can be in communication. It can be in um, writing. It can be in self-reflection. Like there's so many different ways to be purposeful. Um, but also, this is what I just saw recently that got me thinking was that having or feeling or knowing your purpose doesn't make you any more or less valid as a human. Like you are 100% valid, even if you don't know what you want to do. Yeah, it, it's it doesn't change anything. I think that the idea of having purpose is to bring yourself fulfillment, right? And to feel um, fulfilled and happy with what you're choosing. But there's ways to be fulfilled and happy without knowing your purpose. So mm -hmm. that really challenged me when I saw that. I thought, oh, that's actually a really interesting way to look at it. And I think I've been very fortunate in knowing what my purpose was just vocally. Um, but of course, there's tiny little things of, you know, those microcosms of purpose or what I want to do or big life choices that are constantly coming into play. And that doesn't really change. Like if I stopped singing tomorrow, which I would never do, right. but maybe I stopped performing, which like during the pandemic, I think a lot of musicians really said like, wait, questions like, what am I actually doing here? Because all of a sudden we couldn't perform. 
um, you know, just like all of a sudden having to change your validity outside of like, okay, I can't play now. So what is my purpose? What am I doing? Like, there's still so much that you can do. But yeah. like you said, you have to explore it and just trying new things. And I think that being a performer has made me like, and having no shame has made me extremely, <laughs> extremely brave in some of those things. Um, and I know my strengths and weaknesses and I love to learn. And I think that continuing to learn and grow and figure out stuff, like you can do so much if you figure out how to do it. Uh, so, you know, not having like, we put ourselves in all these boxes, but those boxes don't exist. They're just not even real. Because you said it, you said that you opened with, we put ourselves in these fake boxes. Yeah. Uh, let me go. Yeah. Like we, you said it perfectly. Like we do that to ourselves. Right. But something Chuck threw in that we were talking about a little ways back is if what you're currently doing isn't working, try doing the complete opposite. Well said, right. you know, if it's not working, try the opposite. Um, I love too, that you said purpose uh, in a non-professional fashion. Uh, because you, you followed up with purpose equals fulfillment. And that's fantastic. I love how, I mean, that's a, that's a t-shirt right there, a bumper sticker or something. That's a great way of saying it. Um, because when you feel like you're serving a purpose, that's, that's fulfilling. It's self-fulfilling. And when you feel fulfilled, you're going to be more valuable to other people. That's kind of like with other things we've talked about before that if you're having issues, fix yourself first. If you're broken or you're not happy or you're not right, fix yourself. Don't try to fix other people's. Fix yourself first and fix your family, then your friends and your community, then your state, then your country, then the world. Too many people want to try to fix the world when they should be looking in the mirror first. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. We've talked about that a lot lately. Um, but there's plenty of things to do, and I think that that's perfect because I work with the Scam Haters United a lot on, uh, on here. That's a huge issue that we have. And we talk about that a lot too, that these, the scammers like to target uh, vulnerable women that don't have, or men or women, whatever, but they don't have a lot in their lives. So they're vulnerable and any, any attention they get, they're gonna grab onto it, right? And what I like to tell them is, and I understand that we have needs. Um, you know, if you're familiar with it, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's very fascinating. Look that up, that's gonna tell us the things that we need as a human being. Um, and one of them is like the, the attention and things like that. So if you don't have anything really in your life, I understand it. I get it. Your, your career's over. People have passed. You don't have a whole lot. Then again, look to your own community first. If you love animals, guarantee you there's a shelter that needs your help. Start a dog walking business. You're going to make some money, take care of animals, whatever you enjoy naturally, spread that into your fulfillment in your purpose, in your non-professional manner. But seek those things out. St. Vincent de Paul, all of those types of deal. I guarantee you they need help. They need money because a lot of these people get taken for money. You're like, oh, it's just 100 bucks. If 100 bucks is nothing to you, then send it down the road to St. Vincent de Paul or send it to Goodwill, you know, or send it to me. I'll give you my riding number. If 100 bucks is nothing to you, I'll take it and I'll do something good with it. <laughs> but it's the same principles. Find those things because it does feel good. Like, I remember we did a lot of those outreach type things and, uh, I don't know if you were part of it in Springfield Middle School. We cleaned a graveyard that one time. I think so. We just picked so. up trash in a graveyard. Something, not to say that that's dumb, but something as simple as that. You don't have to post it online and tell people, oh, I'm going to clean up the side of the road today. 
So I had that thought driving home the last time from Alabama when I went to go see my boys. They're 10 and 8. And I'm trying to instill these things in them, make them, you know, the man that they should be in this world. And once I live around them, I was thinking, it's like, that'd be a good thing to do is just take them in the car and be like, hey, we're going to go somewhere for a couple hours. Where are we going? Like, I love to say hide and watch. Grew up, my dad would always tell me hide and watch. I didn't know what I meant. But like, you'll know when we get there, we get out, give me each trash bag. And hey, we're going to walk the side of the road and picking up trash from there to there. Well, why? We didn't do this. doesn't matter. The trash is there. It's going to take an hour out of your day. You're going to fill up some trash bags and we're going to throw it away. Then I'll take you to, you know, um, Chick-fil-A or whatever you want. And you're going to feel good about that. Nobody has to know about it. It's almost even better when sometimes they don't. Yeah. You served a purpose. You have that fulfillment from knowing that you helped. It doesn't make you like, oh, you should have seen what I did today. Gina, you know how much trash I picked up? Nobody cares. But you have that. You know what I mean? But, but you do. You know, that's just the, I didn't mean to blah, blah, blah again, but that's, it, it's that simple. Again, when people put ourselves, like Gina said, we put ourselves in these boxes. Like Chuck said, we are limiting ourselves. We set our own limits for no reason. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important to, you know, find purpose without being performative. Like what you're talking about, like feeling like, oh, you're doing something for the sole intention of getting accolades or, you know, I think that in anything you choose, sometimes it's hard to see what our options are for a purpose or to find that, um, especially if we're not mentally healthy or we can't see yeah. the small micro, uh, micro, like wonderful things around us. The things around us that are so great, um, but you can't see them because you're too busy wrapped up in whatever you're coping with or learning to cope with. So learning, you know, coping skills and then figuring out like, like just being present in where you are and being able to identify what are the things that bring you joy? Where does that joy come from? And how can you grow it? How can you pursue it? And how could you bring that joy to other people? Um, and I think that's part of it too, is like developing that, but you know, so many people that it might be in a situation where they struggle with that, they're not in the mental space to even be able to see what the possibilities are. Yeah. So getting in that healthy, healthy place to do that, I think is, is part of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and I wrote down from that too. I like, you can learn how to harvest your happiness. Yeah. Like a little garden. I like it. That's absolutely true though, is cause I went through um, a few years that was terrible for me. And I went through personal stuff in at the same time I was recruiting. And I say that because you, you deal with people that are just lying to your face every day. And then so you have a distrust for people. When you already have a distrust here and then you have to do that for your job and not trusting people, I, I completely withdrew. Um, I didn't want to talk to people, had no interest. And I naturally like to make people laugh. So imagine, you know, you like to sing and then I'll, like, you, you don't want to share that with people. Screw people. I don't want them to hear me, blah, blah, blah. That's torture in itself. And you go from being... A naturally competent person, because again, or naturally competent or no shame, it's 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 life is liberating with no shame, because we don't have those limitations. I really like how you said that. I'm gonna remember that. But going from that, just a naturally competent person, no shame, people enjoying making people laugh, can talk to a stranger anywhere, like brightening people's days, like making people smile, to the totally opposite, totally insecure, don't trust people, don't want to talk to people, don't engage in anything. It was it was terrible for like three years. And uh, I think I think my mom's still on here because I've mentioned this a couple of times. I told her one time, 
in a, in a height of this. And I was, I'm very good at being cynical. I was very cynical because when you have really sharp, good wit and humor, it can be used for good or it can be used for bad. And I'm just as good at being really cynical. Um, and I didn't like it, but I was doing it anyway. And I remember telling her, I was like, I don't talk to random people in idle chit chat. I don't waste my time because I can already put the dialogue in my head of how it's going to go. I say this to them. They say that I say this, they say that. And then it's the end. Why am I going to bother? That was my outlook. And, and, and it was, and that's why I wouldn't, I told her that I was like, why am I going to waste my time talking to these idiot people that I don't know? And that was my perspective. It was dark, you know? And her reply was very simple. It was this, and this is how I ended Chuck's podcast actually on Saturday. She wasn't trying to convince me to do this. She wasn't saying, well, you should do this. It was simply like, well, give people a chance. They might surprise you. Let them surprise you. You never know. And it was impactful at the time, but I still wasn't ready to, you know, put it into action. But now, a few years later, now that I'm good again, now that I'm like 2.0, um, it, it's the same. And we talk about that. One of our dear friends, um, Marcus, that I've had on here, we were talking about the same thing and just being a human to another human being for a split second can make all the difference in the world to them. You know, cause we don't know what other people are going through. You hear that a lot. Like you don't know what somebody's going through. Um, and by simply taking one second of your day to be nice to someone that could have a huge impact in second, third order effects. Cause now I'm like, Hey Gina, you look gorgeous today. How are you? And then you were feeling like shit, but now that simple compliment, you you get to be in great, and then you carry that forward, not the whole pay it forward thing, but that's what it is. Now you're nice to this person, they're nice to them, and all of a sudden it's this huge thing that you've started unknowingly by taking two seconds of your day. And scene. All right, I'll, I'll end on that one again. I'm going to talk to you tonight. <laughs> no, I think that actually I see that with a lot of musicians that I work with, the um... – the better and the more famous, like the, the guys at the top of their game that I've worked with, and including Jeff, actually, um, they're humble and kind and honest and genuine, and they're not performative and they're not um, uh, gratuitous with their compliments. They will be honest with you at what your strengths yeah. are, and that's what they want to bring out. And I think that I've learned a lot just by being around those people. A lot of the people in the mid range their ego is a little too big um, yeah. sometimes, not always, but like, yeah. you know, where not they feel like they have to, they have to teach you or yeah. they want to tell you what you're doing wrong rather than building up what your strengths are. And I just find that mm -hmm. it's so interesting that like the better someone is, the less that they have to prove the also the more encouraging to those around them, they're going to bring out the best in everybody around yeah. them. And that's also a really great leadership skill. Like that is, yeah so helpful for for everybody is to bring it out in the best the best in everybody around them and it it doesn't serve anybody to always be pointing out the negative and always be you know uh berating or trying to prove yourself like that's not that's not how it is meant to function and it's not how right. the best in the world function it's just not it it can be painful being humbled sometimes if you don't like those mid-range people, this and that, I see a lot with comedians and other people that I've worked with. I, no, no caliber to what you are, but you see that too. And then where it's kind of like, dude, you're like the best one. You're like the headliner marquee, you know, Comedy Central, HBO specials. They're the most humble ones because like they've, they've almost 
got nothing else to prove or they, they know that they've been, you know, and then it's just like, it's easier almost to be like, you know, being that humble person to where now it's enjoy, they can enjoy life and help others up. And it's where it's funny, those mid-rangers, I know exactly what you're saying, like the mid-rangers, it's kind of like, oh, all right, man, I, I appreciate it, but pump the jets, bud. I'm not, yeah. not trying to do for a seminar tonight. I just, yeah. but you also get, I got real good at asking specific people, specific people for feedback on certain things years back too. It's kind of, I, I, I don't ask just random people anymore because when it's an art and you're doing something <laughs> and you just ask somebody from the audience, hey, what do you think of that joke, blah, blah, blah. And then it's, they're saying this shit is like, what are you even talking about, man? Yeah. But you have those two or three, if you're fortunate enough, I'll kind of segue to mentors. Chuck, I got your question. We'll get to it in a second. But having those mentors, like Jeff's been, sounds like he's been a great mentor for you. Yes. And that's like the ideal one. Humble just awesome human being in that field, whatever you want to get good at, find a mentor in that field. Yeah. I mean, Jeff is like being around him. He's, you know, he's the, the cream of the crop. So like watching how he functions in a crowd and how he talks to people, he, and he said a couple things and I think it's a famous quote, but he said it in an interview where he said, you're as interesting as you are interested. And just like, and that's Jeff is so good at that. Like when he's you're talking to him, you feel like he is absolutely absorbed yeah. in everything that you're saying. Yeah. And um, he also has never said an unkind word about anybody in all eight years that I've known him. Like yeah. he's never said anything. So he like I've learned a lot about that. Like he, it's just like you don't necessarily you don't have to do that. I'm not I'm not good at that, but I'm you know working on that. <laughs> Um, and, and those are people that you want to be around. Yeah. Again, going back to the people that are committed, those types of people that just make you feel good. Yeah. Because they're comfortable in their own skin. They're going to be kind. We can see the negative. We know when somebody screws up on stage. I don't yeah. need you to point that out. That's like one of the small things I'm teaching my boys. If you're at a restaurant and a, a waiter drops the whole plate of drinks, this and that, I obviously know you just did that. I obviously know you're not happy about that. I know your face is probably blushing. I know you feel like a tiny little piece of turd. Why am I going to stare at you to, oh, oh, I don't, yeah. unless I'm going to go over there and help you clean it up, I don't need to be involved in that situation. That's what I'm telling my boys. It's small things like that. It's like kind of going back to your negative. We don't need it. Yes, we can acknowledge the negative. We'll acknowledge it. Hey, this happens. Yes, fully aware. Do we know how? Okay, boom, moving on. You can acknowledge it, but don't dwell on it. That's what too many people try to do. It's like, motherfucker, I know I did that. I know I screwed up. What are we going to stay on it? You know? I mean, if you think about it, like, in your in your stand-up routine, I know this is what for when I'm singing, too, is, like, in the moment of your performance and when you're doing your thing, like, you have to be really efficient with your thought, too. And as a performer, learning how to, like, not judge yourself in the moment or beat yourself up or, like, you know, take those little things that go wrong and then beat yourself up over it. That sabotages you. You don't yes. want to do that. So how yeah. do you not like, but you want to be able to look back later on and say like, okay, I could have done this better. This is, you know, problem solution. This is what I did. And next time I'm going to do this instead. Like, I think that being analytical and like also recognizing and identifying what 
could have been better. And then working on that specifically, that's going to help too, rather than you don't want to ignore it, but you also don't want to beat yourself up. Like in the moment, there's yeah. no time. That's not efficient thinking. Like you have to right. be going to the next thing. You have to be preparing for what's next. You have to recover. You have to move forward. So there's no efficiency in like looking at what you're doing in that moment. If anything, it's, it's going to make it worse. So yeah. um, it's like that in life too. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, after a performance, it's okay to just be like, that was what it is, and it, I'm okay with it, and um, it's an accurate portrayal of where I'm at right now, and the next thing I'm going to do is going to be better. Yep. You know? That ties into a whole bunch of things that we said. Yeah. Uh, and, and we are, I think, our worst critics. It's very oh, yeah. easy to be over-analytical, and I found a, a, a balance line, I'm sure you have too, that as soon as it happens, yeah. First off, don't dwell on something because you're not going to change that performance. That is over. You can't rewind it and edit. It's done. So let's look at it. Let's break it down. And you can be critical of it, but not to a point where you're self-sabotaging. Right. And that's, again, why I can only get criticism and input from certain people. Those that know, because a lot of them will be like, Dustin, don't beat yourself up. It's like, look, man, I'm not, okay? I'm trying to get better at this. So if you're not going to help me get better, then I, I understand. I don't need to have a conversation with you about how I'm not beating myself up. I've got those few people that it's like, okay, this could have been better. For instance, a uh, few weeks ago, I was hosting the show, and I was trying new material, and it went good. Uh, and then I kind of rambled on about a story in this and that. It's where it was entertaining. I was on stage for about 17 minutes, which is pretty long for emceeing. Um, and the headliner at the time, she was very funny. She had just done an HBO special. And I asked her, I was like, hey, you know, what was, what did you think of my set? And she was like, do you want my honest opinion? I was like, that's why I'm asking you. I'm not looking for praise. I don't need that because I'm in sync. You're getting paid. Um, and she said it was pretty loose. Um, some of these things are kind of tired. You can only walk through it. And I'm taking notes. I'm not getting puffy puffy. I asked this professional comedian her opinion. So I'm damn going to write down what it is. Um, and I went back and watched it. And I watch it now, and I'm just like, oh, it was so, oh, I watch it again, cringe. It's like, man, I, it's much like in college when you're writing a paper. You don't use the same adjective more than once in the paper, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's kind of the same on stage. You don't use the same word. And I, I say the same word like three or four times. It was just so loose. I repeat myself so much. But it was fine. If you listen to the audience, they had a, we had a great time. I had fun yeah. on stage. Audience had a great time watching. But then I look back on it, I'm like, oh, my God, that was terrible. You know what I mean? And, like, that 17 minutes should have been maybe 11. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but at the time, it was fun. And we were up there. I was just And you watched my first set from going on several months back where I just guest spotted. And it was tight. Like, I wasn't rushing anything. But it went from joke to joke to joke to joke. Boom. Seven minutes as to where if I did it in that slow leisurely pace that I did those those seven minutes would have taken probably like 20 because me and her like yeah talking with the audience here and then I go back to this and you know you see the loose and the tight but I asked her because I wanted her opinion she gave it to me I wrote it down to watch it we fixed it and it's funny because when I'll show people that set I'll tell them like this is not great I'm not happy with this it's still good and most people watching it they're like I don't know what you're talking about it was funny like, that's why I'm not asking for your opinion on it, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I hope that made sense. Yeah, I think that's interesting because, you know, 
there's some performances where I where I had them and right after I was like, oh my gosh, I screwed up. Like I wish I would have done this differently or whatever. Uh, but, and I've been really careful not to say um, that I bombed it or that I was terrible or that it was bad because yeah. it's never a hundred percent bad. It's never all terrible. Like there was probably great moments in your standup. And then when you look back, like further back, you can look back at it and be like, oh, actually it wasn't as bad as I thought. Like it's not as bad as I remembered. Like it's, it's yeah. okay. Like it's accurate to where I was right then. Like, yes, I'm better now, yeah. but like, there's never going to be an end point. Like there's never going to be a point where you're like, right. I'm yep. good enough. In fact, I was very fortunate to be able to tour with Herbie Hancock and like prep, like a, uh, studied with him and I did two tours with him and when I was in the Thelonious Monk Institute and at that time like he's like the best jazz pianist in in the world like arguably and um he said to me the second you think you're good enough your career is over and I use that a lot like I say that a lot I said it like two days ago in one of my classes or yesterday um you know, and that's important to to realize, like, it's never going to be a point where you're like, oh, okay, I'm good enough. Like, no, because then yeah. you can stop growing. That's not going to happen. So I, I just try to not, not general, like, use general, like, overwhelmingly, okay, it was this. Like, it was, you know, unless it's sort of positive. But I never want to look back and be like, that was terrible. Because not everything was terrible. Right. Yes, I could have done this, this, and this better. Like, I'm going to do this better. Like, that part was terrible. But, you know, the uh, the general audience, like, really, they don't, they don't see They don't know unless you tell them you just screwed up. And also, sometimes, like, your perception is skewed. Like, you don't even know what really was good or bad. Because mm -hmm. like, we're looking at it through critical eyes. Yeah, and also, like, stuff. the perception is different. Like, your your delivery is different than their their perception so the way that you perceive it is different than the way that the audience perceives it so yeah. learning that too like i mean there have been times where a student would be like oh i just i just totally screwed that up and i'm like actually what made it bad was you saying you screwed it up like it wasn't that bad it wasn't that bad yeah. like don't yeah. beat yourself up so it's a it's a tricky balance but like i try not to use any of those general terms and like just knowing like it's a stamp in that moment it's a little time stamp but there's you're always gonna get better you know? Yes. Uh, I just, I, I don't remember if it was Chuck, it was somebody this past week, and I had that same exact conversation um, about you learn as a performer real early. It's like, don't blow yourself up on stage if you mess up. Yeah. Don't bring attention to it. <laughs> They're not going to know unless you do. They had no idea you screwed up until you just brought it up and yeah. made yourself look stupid. They had right. no idea. Um, but uh, uh, I, Chuck, I got your questions. We're going to come to that in a second. But a few things that you just touched on too, like um, as soon as you think you're good enough, that's when you're not. And then talking about the, those just upper echelon people like the Goldblums and those that are just humble. Uh, and I've talked about this a lot lately with myself, trying to be a student of life. Like they know that they've been validated enough, not through seeking it, but just through different things. They have that humbleness and then they know, like I, once you know you don't know shit, like wow like, i know that i don't know not like i know what i know and i know what i don't know i'll talk about the things that i know that i've experienced but 
once you know there's way more out there that you don't know, yeah, that's humbling in itself. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I talk about this stuff a lot, so I'm more experienced in it. Um, but I still got a lot to learn. I can still that, that's one great thing about teaching the ASA and doing these classes and things like that is I get to bring great people and great information to the other people that want to hear it. But I get a ringside seat to everyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that's constantly, that's why I'm taking all these notes. That's making me, I get, I'm sitting here like front row, like this is awesome. Um, but so being a student of life and when you're a student of life, it, that just brings a level of humbleness because you can't be that without being humble. Right. Cause once you, like you said, once you think that you know shit, once you think you're good, then guess what, sweetie? You ain't as much. Yeah. But okay, a couple questions for you. Sorry, I've been yapping a whole lot today. Uh, <laughs> Gina, what is your five-year plan? Uh, my five-year plan. Uh, well, I'm doing a new record in a month, or at the end of this month, actually. And I'm. Uh, my goal is to get more videos out on YouTube. I want to get a Grammy. I want to do another record in the next five years. Um, I want to tour more. Um, through the like the US I've done a lot of international touring um, but I have like very specific things like I want to get just dist a distribution deal this time and I want to I mean there's a lot of things I'm gonna buy a house. Do you have a, do you, yeah. <laughs> whole lot of wants yeah and I'm assuming you don't have to go into this but I'm assuming you have a plan in place you and your team have a plan in place to achieve some of these yes I I put together a team and I um, <laughs> am working on it. So when let's just like yeah. Snoop Dogg, like I'd like to thank me, myself and I, I'm just yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've put together a great group of people, my new record, like we're in the music arranging side of it right now. And I'm working with an arranger and I have horns on it and the tickets are bought. There was the record is, set we're going to record on march 28th and 29th and i have a publicist i'm working with that's gonna um we have a plan that's being put into place so um i'm not gonna rush the release of this record because i want it to be done right um yeah. and every time i do a record like people are like oh it's your second record i'm like no it's like my seventh record yeah. but like there have been all these different there's like been several eps and some were not fully commercially released and some were just promotion and some are EP, you know whatever there's all kinds of stuff um but this will be my third commercial full-length record um okay. and i i want to do more i want to do more um so i'm finally at a point in my life where i can like i'm gonna just do it and um I'm excited to, to make it happen. That's, I mean, yeah. every time I do a record, the learning curve is so extremely steep. It is so steep. Yeah. Every record gets better, but like I, I'm doing all, all of it myself. I do my own website. I do, um, you know, I manage it. I, whatever. It's been a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whatever. It's just so, no, I know, I know what you mean. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. And I've been fortunate enough to encounter some great people in my life that helped me along the way that I trust. You know yeah. what I mean? And they, they see that. When somebody sees that in you and they're, they're putting effort. And plus just to get the, you know, like just the, I don't know how to say it, but, you know, 
it's very easy. I'm sure you see it in your students, and I've seen it across the board as a teacher, coach, whatever. When you see somebody that's not reaching their full potential, that's putting themselves in that box or, or keeping themselves, uh, getting in their own way. It's like, yeah. man, I'm telling you, you know, whoever, like Gina, I'm telling you, you are way better than you're allowing yourself to be right now. Quit holding yourself back. You know what I mean? It's all the time. Like CrossFit's a great example. You get new people in there. And, and whenever a new person comes in, it's fun to see if they're going to stick around because it sucks like the first two or three weeks. You're, you're just, you want to die because you got muscles are hurting that you never even knew you had. They keep showing up. You see a new person and you're like, dude, I'm telling you, Gina, the way you're doing that, like you can do easy 135 right now. And then, oh, no way. And you're only doing like 65. I'm like, I'm telling you, like you can you're just not allowing yourself here. And it's the same thing with, I'm sure in like music, like you can hit, I don't know the analogies there, but like you can hit these notes maybe or something, I don't know. But you see that and it's like, then it's, it's a struggle as a coach or teacher, but then it's also, those are kind of the fun times where it's challenging to get that person past their own obstacles. Yeah, I think for like a, a doing a record, like the singing aspect of it, I, I feel good about like I know that I can practice into something and then I'm going to work my butt off to vocally be where I want to be uh, when I do the record and of course there's going to be things I don't like about it vocally and there's going to be things I like about it um, and I'm, I'm okay with that aspect of it I think the part that's difficult for me is being an independent artist is like you know finding you know, making sure that the ISRC codes are correct and like all the business aspect of it, like, like how do you um, calculate sales and submit sales for billboard charts? And how do you like, you know, I, I already know how to do pressing process for uh, vinyl and for releasing, you know, getting reviewed and all that. Like there's just so many different aspects of being a record label. Yeah. and being a business person and then having a commercial release at a high level while being an independent artist without working yeah. with the machine. And, you know, I talked to the publicist. I was like, you know, should I try to get a label? I've never tried to be on a label. Um, and I've released stuff on, on labels and they've helped a, a little bit, but like, ultimately like there's, in my experience, that hasn't really been a huge, aside from distribution, there's really no, perk to being on a label and so i was talking to my publicist about it like should i try to get on a label and he's like uh no and i was like is there any benefit to it he's like not really yeah because when you work with a label oftentimes they want like creative control they want to put a whole bunch of money behind the record that you probably won't make back and like from my standpoint i want to still work from a business aspect of making profit mm -hmm. um and that is not necessarily going to happen as an artist with a label. Like you get like a little chunk up front or whatever. There's just some control stuff. And like, ultimately exactly. I want to I make all the decisions yep. just like I did on my last record. And yeah. I want it to be mine. And I want to be able to say, I did this. Um, and I've had a lot of help, like my family actually, which has been incredible. Um, my dad does my covers for me. My brother did my photography on my last record. He helped me do all the vinyl pressing and, yeah. and figure all of that process out. And that has been really helpful just to have those resources that, it, that'll, that I know I can trust and that yeah. has my best yeah. interest at heart. So, um, yeah, it's been great. I mean, 
it's tough because I could easily spend 60 grand on a record and I would never make that back. So <laughs> you hand over a lot of control to other people. And that's kind of what we're going through right now, starting up uh, our, the business of the caps group. You know, we're taking the perspective of like, this is our business. We don't need, you know, we're, we're looking for contracts and clients right now, companies, corporations, things like that, but we can pick and choose. It's like, and I didn't really think about it. And we started talking about it and like, yeah, we don't necessarily want to be involved with these people. And we don't yeah. have to be. We're taking it from the perspective of we're building this, just us, it's ours. We decide who we're going to work with. Right. We decide how much we're going to charge. We're not going to bend to you like exactly like you said, is we have control over this. Yeah. Turn it over to the people. We're going to lose control of it, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Um, two more questions. We're going to wrap up soon. If you have any more questions, send them in. I got one more. This one's coming from mom. She says, which is most valuable, practice or experience? Oh, man, that is a tough question because I feel like they go hand in hand. I agree. That's really tough. I mean, they are both equally important, but I would say if you have experience, you've done the practice. Yeah. So I would say experience only because there's, there's so many aspects to performing as well that, that are not something that you can practice by yourself. Just even the chemistry of an audience, like, you know, how, like, every audience is different and their personality the audience as a whole has a personality and yes, they do. every crowd is is yours for the taking if you want to take it and you have to learn how to treat a crowd so mm -hmm. it, it's there's so many nuances to performing so i feel that um <laughs> i can read that check <laughs> He's a moron. Uh, <laughs> I agree. But, I, I, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's true. I mean, that's, I think that's it. It's like experience means practice. So I think. Yeah. In the way that I, I really like that actually. And I want to delve into that more on my own in, into things, but just off the bat without really researching or digging into it, I would see to me, practice is kind of what we do without an audience. And then experience is what we're doing in front of an audience. You're getting experience all the time. Yes, you're getting experience when you're practicing, but like practice is like, hey, you know, I come in here on Wednesday nights because this side's closed. I'm going to work the mic and work the lights. There, I'm practicing. But then tomorrow night when the lights are on, there's an audience in here. That's when I'm getting the experience. Yeah. So that's kind of how I, I, I agree with you. But that would just be my take to, for the difference. Practice is in the dark. Experience is in the light. Yeah. And there's so many things that happen in the performance. Like you know, you're in the middle of a joke and you're trying to deliver a punchline and the, someone makes a milkshake at the bar yeah. or, something. you know, the blender yeah. goes on or someone drops something or, you know, it's the, sometimes the crowd is really quiet or like yeah. not receptive. It feels like, but then after the show, they'll praise you a ton or, you know, getting negative feedback, like all of mm -hmm. that feeds into who you are as an artist. Yeah. It's like, it's a very, it's a vast uh, and it's experience. fun though. if you have fun with it yeah the experience yeah. part because we come in and i'll have to rehearse now like people will say you just relax you're a control freak well i'm not a control freak but i want to rehearse and fine tune every aspect that we have control over right. you know and i like to get involved with the audience and then one time i was hosting i think that same show or maybe the first time i had stepped down off the stage to talk to someone and like the second i stepped off the stage you could not see me you hear me but you couldn't see me 
So I'd ask the headliner that night. She was funny. She's a Paula Dean looking lady. Um, I'd ask her and she's like, you were fine, except when you stepped off the stage, we couldn't see you. So next Wednesday, this is practice versus experience. Next Wednesday, when there's nobody here, I'm working over it with the sound and the lights and stuff. And I said to Robert, my tech guy, I'm like, hey, I want to step down to the audience. So let's play with the lights. And it was a long process at first anyway, not to blah, blah, blah about that. But we'd rehearsed it. We'd practiced where this was my lane. This is my alley right here that was going to have lights on, right? Come in Thursday before the show, running through stuff, this and that. Come showtime, boom, I come on, and I'm going to go to step down. I look down. The tables had been moved into my lane where I was supposed to step down. And so I was like, well, shit, I can't. Now I got, you know. But it wasn't a big deal. I stepped down. I think I even made it, like, awkward funny to where I went down and I would, like, bend over to get on the lights so <laughs> you could see me. But, you know, that's, that's the experience portion and this and that where you practice all day long. Practice, practice, practice. But when showtime happens, you got to be ready with those things and be able to go with it. If you do screw up or something or you are that waitress that dropped the thing and everybody's staring at you, play it off, like try to, you know, make light of it. Or you're the performer. You got to be able to go with it and make it work. You yeah. are running that show. You are in charge of it. You're the one with the microphone. So everybody's looking at you. What are you going to do? You know, yeah. we got to keep going. Show's got to go on. You know, because the mic will go out or this or that. So that leads me into actually the last question. We'll wrap up. I'm sorry, taking all your whole evening. Um, send us any last call. Send us in any more questions. And yes, Chuck, she read that too. Um, last question from Chuck is, what is your biggest mess up on stage or biggest blunder, we'll call it? Oh, man. I mean, I just said this the other day. Like, I feel like... Uh... I'm a professional mistake hider. <laughs> yeah, I like that. So biggest mistake on stage. I mean, stuff happens every performance. I've had thousands, like a, probably more than a thousand. Yeah. And I can't, were I can't remember. Were, <laughs> were there any that you were not able to hide as well? Yeah, of course. Like, I mean, all kinds of stuff has happened on stage. Um, sometimes I just completely mix up the words. I mean, I've gotten pretty good at like, <laughs> faking the words and like improvising words. Um, yeah. I mean, I've seen that before of... videos. That's funny when they do that, especially yeah. like, when it's their own songs and they'll forget the words. I mean, my own songs are the hardest to memorize. Other people's songs, like I, I usually know it well enough that if I completely bomb, I mean, there's the other, actually. I mean, I, mistakes don't bother me anymore. Yeah. So I don't even think about it like that. Like, honestly, like some mistakes happen. Like all kinds of stuff happens when you, when you live your life. Maybe in the early days. Take, take it back to the early days. Maybe even when you're 17 or whatever, doing around Springfield, Eugene. Okay. The biggest thing that ever happened performance wise. And my mom and dad, I think are watching Tim Leahy's here. Hi, Tim. What up, Tim? Um, I remember him. Yeah. From Springfield. Hi. He's right yeah. there. Um, I just did a gig for him in, in Springfield. Nice. So. Um, but probably I remember when I was really young, I was about eight or nine and I was doing these talent shows with my dad playing guitar at our church camp. And it was like, you know, a crowd of about a hundred people or so. And, you know, it's like church. So they're like, yep. everybody, you know, everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, my dad couldn't be there and my dad always played guitar for me. And if I made a mistake, then he would kind of catch it and he would help me and it would be fine. But 
in this particular instance, he couldn't be there. And so he made a track for me to sing with, but I made a mistake in the track. And I, while I was on stage and I forgot the words and yep. I stopped singing and I started to cry and I ran off stage. <laughs> and then I remember I was scheduled to do a skit like two performers later. And I was like bawling my eyes out, just crying, crying, crying. And I was supposed to do a skit where it was like, I was going to dress up like a nerd and, and like, it was like pizza for sale. I remember what it was. It was like a joke that we made into a skit um, about selling pencils. I don't even remember what it was, um, but I had to become this like total nerd and like get over that big mistake. And that taught me a huge lesson. Yeah. Cause I just like, I had a team with me and like they, my friends were expecting to do the skit that we had practiced. And I couldn't be absorbed and wallow in my failure at that yeah. moment off stage. So I got up and, you know, my mom gave me a pep talk and I went out and I did the joke and I did the thing and it was funny and like people laughed and I recovered from that. But that was a huge lesson. I mean, also something I talked to my students about is like, what's the worst thing that can happen on stage? Like you forget the words, like I've done that. Barbara Streisand did that. Like a lot of people do that. Um, you pee your pants. Okay, Fergie did that. Justin Bieber barfed. Um, Lady Gaga like totally biffed it. Beyonce fell off stage. Like, yeah. I mean, they still have careers. Like, no matter what happens, you will be fine yeah. as long as you just keep going. Yeah. And and like mistakes like happen because you're a human being and. Yeah. It's how you deal with the mistake and how you grow from it that's important. It's not the mistake itself. Like, who cares? Like, I, how many mistakes? I, I make mistakes every show. <laughs> but the audience doesn't know. Yeah. They just, they, they don't really know. And I don't show them and I don't tell them. I mean, I remember yeah. this one gig where I, I'm doing this Aretha Franklin song and it's like a big belter. And for me, when I'm singing, if I have even just a shred, even the tiniest shred of doubt before a big note, it will sabotage my note. Yep. So I had this one crazy high belt at the very end of the song, and I just had this glimpse of hesitation, and it, it sabotaged my note, and it just had a little bump on the top. And I remember just being so mad at myself, I walked off stage, and one of the girls that was singing with me as backup, she was like, oh my gosh, that was so amazing. And I looked at her and I was like, I am so mad at myself right now. <laughs> like, you know, I was just so mad because I let that doubt sneak in. I just like mm -hmm. that, I just didn't nail it the way I knew I could nail it. And, you know, she was like, I didn't even hear it. And I was like, you're right. Like no one else knows. Yeah. It and that's just something like I have, you have to just like go, okay, well, what am I going to do next time? I'm going to be like so confident when I go towards that note. I'm not going to let that hesitation slip in. I'm not going to doubt myself. I'm not going to hesitate. I'm, or I am going to feel confident. I am going to open it up. I am going to aim down. I am going to do like all of those things that mentally go on in preparation for something yep. big. Like those are what I'm focusing on um, so that that never happens again. And that, I got a few things and then we'll wrap it up. But there's so many good things what you're saying. That right there is taught in the Army um, in a Master Resiliency course. That is called real-time resilience. And the way that you can reinforce that, you, you pass the doubt, but you could say that if that creeps in about the doubt from last time, any doubt, you could say, 
no, I'm going to hit this note because I've trained, because I put the practice in, because I've done this, because I've done this. And that's real-time resilience. You're doing it in the moment. You are justifying. You're telling yourself why you're not going to screw up. If those thoughts creep in, you can kick their ass back out real-time with mm -hmm. resiliency because you have practiced for this, because you are worthy of being here, because you've earned your stage time for anything like that. Before a sales pitch, before this, if you've done your homework, you've done your due diligence, you've done your practice in the dark, then carry that shit with you and rock it, whatever your stage is. We're on mm -hmm. stage every day. Sometimes it's under the light, but sometimes it's trying to sell something to somebody or it's teaching these kids. You're always having to perform in life somewhere. You practice it and then own that shit. You doubt starts creeping in. Nope, I'm not going to fail because I've practiced. I'm not going to fail because of this. I'm not. Now, if you're trying to wing it, it could be a different story. <laughs> but, um, and another, I want to just highlight another point that you had about that immediate amnesia. I'm teaching that to my boys already. Um, it, you screw up and it's like, Hey, you got to get over it and move on. Like the best analogy that I can use is, is in football and like Tom Brady, you know, they always love to say that he's got the most, the, the shortest memory there. Cause you may throw a pick in the boom. The other team's got it. And there's only two and a half minutes left in the game. Oh my God. He just lost it for us. Game ain't over yet. Well, they get the ball back. This is a new series of downs. I'm not thinking about, you can't think about the interception you just threw. Yes. You have to acknowledge the negative how you screwed up on that. Was it a, what is a communication error with the route? Did I throw it short? Whatever. Pinpoint that, then move on. Right. You know, and I'm trying to teach my boys, like, you screwed up, and that's okay. But that's past. Again, we can't rewind that with the remote. The batteries are broken in the remote, dude. Can't rewind it. So forget it and move on. Don't carry that with you to screw up your future stuff. So right. That's, that's one of those really important lessons, and that's hard to do. That takes – that's hard to do if you're not practiced. I think the most important thing to focus on in those situations is that you have in that moment, the next time you go for it or whatever, you have, um, you have a team, you have a, you have a purpose. You have to serve in my case, the song and I can make it about the song and I can make it about the audience and it takes me outside of myself. Yeah. So if you, if you get wrapped up in yourself, then you get that, you get stuck. But if you can see the big picture, okay, I'm doing this for, the audience i'm doing this for the song i'm doing this for the the band on stage i'm yeah. doing this for you know and just like oh you know on a football team like he has to pull it together he has teammates they have a crowd they have pride they have like they have to do it in the military you have to you have to do it because of your troop you have to do it because of the people around you you have to do it because you have a goal you have a purpose so there's so much you know there that is that can pull you outside of yourself but you really have to to let yourself go beyond your own yeah. little I can't and get into we can. Get over yourself. Yeah. Quit, stop feeling sorry for yourself. It's real easy to do. That's yeah. why we love to do it. But it's yeah. harder to pick yourself up and move on. So, Gina, thank you so much for your time. Thank uh, you for having me. And before I move on, Dustin, I just want to say how proud I am of you for doing stand up and following your goals. And it's inspiring. And um, I hope I get to see one of your uh, stand up shows sometime um, in person. That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be and cool. I want to thank you and all your brothers for your service. Thank I you. appreciate all of um, your time and effort that you've put yeah. in for our country. So um, and thank you for having me on the show. It's been yeah. awesome talking. Yeah. It was fantastic. We had such a good time. We'll have to do this again. So 
you're not allowed back on the show until you have a Grammy in your hand. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> and I'll see you on the red carpet. But uh, thank you for those. Again, I think kind of the same, like we don't take compliments well, you know, but I, I thank you for that. Um, I, I really do appreciate it. Um, and great talking with you today. Great material. Thank you for joining us. And like we both said, like Gina said, hey, we're humans. You're going to make mistakes. Keep going because how you deal with it is up to you. That's totally up to you is how you're going to screw up. That's what we do as humans, but it is up to you how you deal with that. So Gina, thank you so much. Very thank proud you. of you too. I can't even tell you how proud we are of you. It's, it's ridiculous. You're just, you're just too stupid. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. We'll talk to you later. Thanks everybody. Okay, sounds good. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>